0: First up, it was, in fact, 50 years ago yesterday that astronauts last walked on the moon as part of the Apollo uh, program. Uh, These were the words of Apollo 17 Mission Astronaut Commander Gene Cernan on December 11th, 1972. As I step off at the surface at Taurus Littrell, I'd like to dedicate the first step of Apollo 17 to all those who made it possible. Well, 50 years ago, and as of today, we're one big step closer to going back. Uh, The new lunar mission is called Artemis, twin sister of Apollo, of course. And on Sunday, as I was mentioning, the first part of that mission came to a successful conclusion. The Orion spacecraft splashed down off the Pacific coast of Mexico after spending 25 and a half days traveling around the moon. The final stretch of his journey was perhaps... The most dangerous or one of the most dangerous of this first phase Uh, after traveling some 385,000 kilometers, um, it was traveling about 32 times the speed of sound, nearly 40,000 kilometers an hour as it hit the air yesterday. So it, it was very hot. It was very hot. Uh, 2,760 degrees Celsius, I think, was the estimate. About 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit when it was coming in. Uh, It was an uncrewed mission, but NASA Administrator Bill Nelson says this one paves the way to resume crewed missions into space, to the moon, Mars, and beyond.
1: The plan is to get ready to go with humans to Mars late in the decade of the 2030s and then even further beyond.
0: A Canadian should be part of that next phase of this in 2024 when there's going to do a crude lunar flyby. A Canadian astronaut David Sejac has been watching all of this unfold very closely. He spent 204 days on the International Space Station back in 2018. And David Sejac joins me now from CSA headquarters in Saint Hubert, just outside of Montreal. Thank you so much for your time.
1: Bonjour, bonjour. How are you?
0: I'm well. Thanks. This was an exciting, uh, an exciting moment yesterday to see it uh complete its mission so successfully.
1: Absolutely exciting. I hope that's the right word. There's actually historic, I think, uh, what a weekend, what a moment when we, Good. well, very nail-biting for anybody in the business, when you actually know <laughs> how many things have to go right for this capsule to come back from the far side of the moon. Can you imagine? Yes. We loved this three weeks ago, and it's coming back on Earth after fiery re-entry into the atmosphere at speeds that had never been done before. I mean, this It's amazing huge teamwork and it, it's work. I wouldn't say flawlessly but wow the, the the list of things to work on there's lots of adjustments to make but nothing big it's amazing
0: I, I didn't understand of course that this was probably one of the most challenging phases of this because so much had to go right and I guess you mentioned it was the speed the re-entry the heat uh, that's a very that's a very non engineering way of putting it but there was a lot of things being tested out here
1: so yeah chiefly is the fact that well just let's say three things were really at the core of this. This is a flight mission, right? Flight test, no crew on board, just the system. But a, it was the first time that the whole thing was put together. So hence all the delays and launching, because we're ironing out all the launch pad problems and the integration problems, including all the ground station satellites, all the network of satellites, all the communication, navigation, propulsion, guidance, all of that. The first time it was all assembled and sent to the moon, then, the speed of reentry is quite tremendous, uh, and so the the issue here is that when things come back from space at high speed, when I say high speed, I mean like twelve kilometers per second, really really high speed. Yeah. That's uh, that's it, fast. They heat up. Yeah. So yeah. They heat up, and that that's why no, that's why shooting stars bright and burn up because there are rocks that are basically falling super fast in the atmosphere and they they go so fast that it burns the friction makes it them burn so obviously we don't want the capsule to burn so we need a very robust heat shield and so and you cannot test those velocities and those heat on the ground you cannot you have to go there out there for real and just lob the subject out on the far side of the moon and make it basically fall back to earth uh, at this incredible velocity, and that worked perfectly well. So, and then the other thing to test was all the recovery mechanism. You know, the, sh- the navy ships that are out there, all the way we have to make sure a capsule you know, doesn't capsize, doesn't sink, uh, that the the temperature inside is reasonable for the crew member when there will be crew members. So, all of that worked super, super well. There's a long list of little things to adjust, but wow, it's uh, it's impressive.
0: Yeah, what uh, what did we learn during this this thirty two this this mission that lasted, I guess, more than a month, right? When it finally launched, I guess the delays were all well worth it since it worked out. uh But what no, did we learn it, during during its first this first step uh, of of this project?
1: So, a lot of the experiments on board were to do with survivability, as we call it, uh, for the crew members. So there were well, they on board. There were no people on the mission, but there were these, you know, these. Uh, if you want so, so-called crash test dummies that we mm-hmm. see you know, in the automobile industry to see the accelerations, how it is for people. There's also radiation type uh, dummies to make sure that, that the environment is survivable uh, around the moon. A lot of measurements of the radiation environment. All these things that were during the, t- the time of Apollo with kind of hoped for the best without knowing too much, you know? And mm-hmm. uh, So uh, some people might say, you know, well, we were on the moon 50 years ago. What's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that Every single Apollo mission was kind of a near miss in its own right. Something is very, they really high tolerance to risk uh, during those days. With Artemis, uh, we want to go back to the moon in a sustainable and a kind of responsible and kind of reliable way uh, to sort of be there for good. So it's a very completely different emphasis. It's also an international program as opposed to, uh, to Apollo. So it has a very, very different flavor. And uh, maybe as a sign of times, you know, the, the name Artemis, I Maybe mean, your listeners don't know, but Artemis is the twin sister of Apollo. So I think uh, that tells something about the kind of desire for inclusion uh, that's the hallmark of this program.
0: Yeah. What, what next? What happens now?
1: So this mission was Artemis One. It was the first step of the Artemis program, which is a series of increasingly complex missions. The next mission, Artemis Two, in about two years, knock on wood, if everything works according to plan. We'll have crew on board going all the way to the back, far side of the moon and looping around the moon and coming back. And there will be a Canadian on board that mission. So that is huge, tremendously important for our country. We'll be only the second country to send someone uh, to the moon. So, And then is 3, go on the moon, four or five going on. There'll be a lunar station, if you want, around the moon. Canada is contributing a smart robotic arm for that, like an evolution of Canada Arm will go, uh, Canada Arm 3, we call it, will go uh, to, uh, to the moon environment. And so these missions will all lead to eventually a base on the moon, all of that in preparation for the really crazy, absolutely mind bogglingly dangerous uh, goal of going back, going to Mars.
0: It seems and remarkable. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, it seems remarkable amazing. to think about to think about about the idea of going back to the moon because I think for a lot of us, especially my age, the, those first lunar landings were too early for me. I, I wasn't. I don't remember them. I saw them, obviously. Uh, but this is going to give a whole new generation of kids of every of all of us a chance to sort of witness history again, and Cana- a Canadian in it as well.
1: Amazing to have a Canadian on board uh, Artemis too. And you're right. Uh, I'm. You know, I'm like you. My mom was pregnant of me. <laughs> think yeah. but they have inhabited my my childhood. I'm also we're all part of the, if you want the Apollo generation kids these days. They will be the Artemis generation. It will be their motivation for exploration, education, to kind of be out there and uh, and broaden their perspective. And you know the the people who will go to the moon, those crew and the engineers who build those systems and all the scientists behind. All these people are born, but they're still children. And they will be heavily influenced by these, uh, these incredible missions coming up. And they, I mean, it will be amazing. It won't be like, one thing that I think you in the media will mm-hmm. appreciate, it won't be like gritty black and white images. From, oh my God, this is going to be you know HD, 360 degrees, VR type of imagery uh, that we're going to have for those moon missions. So it's going to be quite something you know, to go along for the ride.
0: Yeah, I mean, just on a separate mission, just watching
1: what's coming from the James Webb telescope has been mind-boggling. Mind-boggling, indeed. Where it's really around—it's the the dawn of a completely new, uh, new age in medicine, space exploration. But it's sort of—I think—we're starting to think to realize that we, it's not just exploring and like holding our breath and you know, and for a great adventure. We're gonna live there. We're gonna just—we're just broadening the bubble uh, where humanity can just can function and exist.
0: David C. Jacques is with us this half hour. He is, of course, a Canadian astronaut. We're talking about uh, the return of the Orion uh, space uh, module over the weekend, the first step in the Artemis uh, project. Step one, Artemis 2 will involve a Canadian. This two will loop around the moon, uh, but a Canadian will be involved. And then, of course, this all leads on to bigger and bigger things as we go on. Uh, you were mentioning it earlier, there is an evolution of the Canadarm on this on this project. Canada is also involved in other ways. We're playing a fairly, a fairly significant role in this very important uh, project.
1: Indeed, yes. So the Artemis program uh, will include a, a station, an orbital station around the moon this time, a smaller version of the International Space Station. The International Space Station, as you know, was has not only does it use Canadarm2, a robotic arm, made in Canada, it was built with Canadarm2. You know, we built this thing. Oh, right. countries would produce modules and it was assembled, uh, carefully assembled on orbit uh, with Canadarm2. Canadarm3 is going to be a smart robot, benefiting from all the advances and latest advances in uh, robotics technology that's going to be uh, living and operating in the moon environment on the gateway, it's called, this a moon uh, outpost. Uh, and an interesting fact is that that uh, lunar uh, orbital uh, laboratory hmm. will often have no crew on board. And the only crew, if you want, will be this Canadian robot. So we will be really at the forefront. Another Canadian contribution is we will contribute rovers on the moon to for robotics mission, kind of ahead of the arrival crew, to help them you know, set up the cargo, build the base, perhaps, uh, things like that. So sort of utility rovers, uh, as we like to call them. And there's many other things that we're looking at for more longer term, maybe growing food uh, on the moon or eventually... On Mars. And the reason why we look at that is because as a country, we have a really high interest in growing food in crazy environments, right? Like all our north or anywhere in, the, <laughs> anywhere in Canada right. during the winter. Uh, if we can't do it here on the ground in the winter near Montreal, well, we'll never be able to do it on Mars, right? So better start learning here. Also, medical services. We're uh, looking at how Canada could uh, contribute to providing medical services for these crew on their really deep space missions. Um, you got to think of astronauts on their way to Mars as like a like an extreme case of home care, if you want. And I think we all have a great desire for kind of more modernized medicine, where you don't need to go to a hospital for medical care. Care can come to you. These, these very similar desires we have in the space program. So they're like a great uh, conjunction uh, of efforts. So. The future, the future is bright. Nobody wants to be involved in the yeah. future of space exploration.
0: I know this is probably a simplification of it, but it felt like the original lunar projects, the Apollos, were, were really about just getting there. It was, about a, it was about a space race. And this is really about learning things, about figuring out how what we learned there could be applied back here and vice versa.
1: You're, you're, you're right. There's, there's some of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. the Apollo was the result of a race. Uh, and uh, there was... a. Great desire to, you know, get there as fast as possible. And their tolerance to risk was much higher. With Artemis, we are focused on reliability and a sort of the long-term perspective that we're there to stay, going back to the moon uh, to stay. And eventually, turn everything that we have learned in the lunar environment to the very crazy, ambitious goal of going uh, to Mars. So as a first step, this
0: $4.1 billion test flight, as a first step, this seems to have been a great success. And I guess we're going to see, uh, I, we have to wait a few years before we see or know who the Canadian will be and see uh, how that next step will evolve.
1: Indeed. So the focus now that we have brought Artemis 1 uh, uh, back on the ground is to look at all the incredible amount of data that we have gathered on this spaceflight and make sure that, you know, cross our T's and dot our I's and iron out all the little flaws and all the integration problems because there were many I mean there's nothing major but a lot of little things that uh, had to will have to be adjusted Plus, everything we've learned about the environment of the moon in terms of radiation and the quality of those orbital fields so that once we have ironed out all these technical details and then we can really get ready to assign crew members for Artemis 2 and, and start training them so that will be the result of a an international discussion to kind of make up the best crew. With uh, we don't assign individuals; we assign crews as a whole uh, to maximize the chance of success of the of the of the mission. And that's in a few years' time, I, I, I gather. The mission will be, if all goes well, probably in two years. Is what uh, we keep hearing. So, uh, knock on wood. It'll be an exciting time
0: at the Canadian Space Agency. It's uh, what a Can't great wait. time to
1: be there. Yeah. <laughs> we cannot wait uh, to uh, to hear that, David C. Jacques, Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very
0: much. Uh, Have a good week, everybody.